Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, it is uh, an off-season <laughs> episode here, so we've got a couple quick hitters. It won't be necessarily one of our longer pods, or at least that of which we anticipate uh, being a longer pod. But whether it's long or short, always thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce and thank our friends at Tarpon Cellars, a fantastic winemaker, fortunate enough to be able to pair with them. Actually, the first uh, group to ever inquire about sponsoring the Nolcast. So, uh, fantastic people, great wine. Um, some of their wines a little more economic friendly. Some of them are more kind of for a special event. So I would encourage you to go to tarpincellars.com, uh, look at uh, some of the options they have, and uh, know that they are uh, very much an important supporter of the Nolcast, and we thank them. No doubt. Enjoy drinking some wine. And uh, maybe needed a glass last night after, after that heartbreaking FSU women's soccer loss and PKs. Is it? You're a soccer guy. I'm not. I kind of feel like maybe a championship game shouldn't go, shouldn't have PKs. Is that, is that a crazy statement? Has anybody ever brought that up? They probably have, right? Yeah, certainly been some thought about that and been some, you know, ideas as to if there's another little bit more skill-based way of doing it. Yeah, uh, PKs are an educated coin flip, you know? I mean, sometimes you can, if you've got a, a keeper that's done a, a whole lot of, you know, background research and assistant coach who's, giving you an idea as to where girls or, or guys may go with their preferred uh, PK spot or, you know, what side of the goal they tend to lean on. But uh, it really, it's just a, it's, you know, it's, it's luck at that point. And we won't spend a ton of time breaking down the game, but just a disappointing thing. I'm not a, uh, a soccer expert. Don't fancy myself one, but you know, Florida State was by far the more talented team uh, last night and any kind of situation like that where you play and, uh, you know, you are the better team and you don't end up being able to bring home a national championship. There's certainly uh, some frustration with that. And, um, you know, a bad little back pass there in the final eight minutes kind of doomed you, sent you into a place where you had to look at PKs. I will say that the, you know, the goal that was scored, if if Leo Messi scores that goal, then, you know, Ray Hudson, the uh, English uh, soccer uh, at least the English feed of BN is is screaming about a you know magisterial left foot and a majestic player and everything else. So a wild flash of skill uh, from Florida State, but disappointing. Uh, you know, certainly the better team, or the more talented, skillful team, in my opinion, and uh, they miss an opportunity to win a national championship. So uh, best of luck to them next year. And it was a, certainly a lot of fun to watch them go on the run that they did. No doubt, man. So I. Shout out to them for for making it that far. Yeah, I just I was like, man, this would be like, you know, if you went immediately to two point conversions in in football, or like had a home run derby to mm. settle the world series. Yeah. Or if you, know? you say, I mean, it's almost like having a a basketball game come down to a half court shot or something like that. I mean, it is it is uh, it, there's so much luck involved that you know you wish as a sport maybe you could come up with a better way of of uh, ending a game like that. Yeah, you know, just. Or like I, I know in uh, in the NHL in, in hockey, they do use PKs to settle regular season games, but in the playoffs they they don't. It's like hey, no, like we need to have a winner. You need to use if part of it's because if you want to build your team around like good defense, perhaps right, then that's totally negated when you get to a shootout. Kind of. Uh, so yeah, just something I something I thought about just the. I don't know. This is not me complaining about FSU losing. It's just the, the fairness of, of that format to settle something. Uh, but that was, that was a disappointing result, but a, a hell of a season 
once again for them. And uh, Kikorian does obviously a great job. It certainly does. So, um, you know, we kind of had a, we've talked a lot about what Florida State's record might be. And I think you brought up a good point last night and we decided to slap this on the show sheet. Uh, why don't we kind of guess or have a educated conversation as to where we think Florida State's records opponent will be when they play Florida State and maybe how that could, could impact, uh, you know, the type of opponent that you see. So, um, you know, we'll start at Notre Dame. Obviously, we've got a pretty good idea as to what their record's going to be, and then we'll uh, just go from there. Yeah, man, I, I thought this could be kind of interesting because I was going through some of my win-loss projections, teams I'm higher on this year, teams I'm lower on, you know, that that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, that, that noise you heard in the background, if uh, if Justin's not able to edit that out, that is me not closing my door and uh, the door finally closing when the air conditioning in the house kicked on. So professional podcasting there, but hell yeah. So, yeah, but I, I was going through, and, and there's some teams on the schedule that I think are going to be a lot better than people realize. Um, I know a lot of the projection models have NC State as like a seven and five team. I think my number for them is going to be uh, eight, eight and a quarter. And you know, there's some teams on the schedule that I'm really just not, not as sold on. So we'll have to, we'll have to see. But I, I do think in the first half, this is not that illuminating, perhaps, uh, although there's some quit factor potential for some of these teams. Uh, but in the second half of the schedule, I, I do think there's some interesting possibilities here for teams who may or, or may not have the same motivation, depending on where they're at in their schedule. Notre Dame, uh, I'm going to go on a limb here, Ingram, and uh, say on Labor Day that they're they're going to be 0-0 uh, entering that game. No, no real surprise there. Pretty important game for both teams, obviously. Uh, Jacksonville State, I have no idea what they're going to be because I don't know how good the other FCS teams are. I know Jacksonville State had some you know, some D1 quality players on this team last year. But then th- this one's pretty interesting. I-, I think Wake Forest will be riding pretty high. They have two uh, relative cupcake games and then FSU travels obviously to Wake. So w- Wake Forest should be 2-0. and No real surprise there. Yeah, yeah, they should be 2-0 and 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 they should be 2-0. and I'm not saying they're not going to you know, game plan for their first uh, couple opponents, but they should be two and zero with with you being the focus the whole time that they've gone about getting to two and zero. So, um, yeah, Wake Forest has a, a decent little chance to ambush you here, certainly uh, if you could even consider that an ambush. But yeah. yeah, and you're coming off, you know, you're coming off Jack State, so you, you should be prepared for that game, obviously, as well. Uh, but the, but both teams should be uh, should be fairly sharp. The third game of the year, two games under your belt. Not a bye week, but essentially a bye week uh, before for both. This one, the next one to me is interesting. So Louisville, I think, is probably either somewhere between three and zero and one and two. You're like, well, bud, you you basically just covered all the possibilities there. It's not that insightful. Uh, but you know, Louisville's coming off a season in which they lost. They were zero and six. David Hale had this stat on Twitter the other day. David Hale of ESPN, great job he does. He said they were 0-6 in games that were uh, within a touchdown in the final 10 minutes, which is pretty insane and indicative of a team that uh, that had quite a bit of, of bad luck last year, and their record really didn't indicate you know, what kind of team uh, they were on a week-to-week basis. But still, man, I think Louisville could also be like, what, 3-0, 2-1, 1-2? If they're 1-2... It gets harder to sell to your kids, hey, guys, we're still a pretty damn good team. We were a good team last year. We just didn't get the wins. At some point, I think a lot of these kids you have on this team, and I say kids, but they're, you know, they're adults, they start to look at the record and they say, you know, maybe they just start 
not buying in quite as much and more checking out. And FSU should have some, I guess, revenge-minded nature to, to him here, just given that. So that's a possibility to get one. Ole Miss, Eastern Kentucky, uh, and then an interesting game where UCF travels to Louisville uh, in the week prior. So, yeah, yeah, that could that could really be an interesting situation. And you wonder if you haven't already taken two out of conference losses. Uh, exactly what the you know what the focus and and mentality of that team is. Certainly been a, a locker room that's gone through a lot, and you know maybe wouldn't shock you if you didn't have a couple of guys who. Kind of thought, oh, well, uh, maybe here we go again. Exactly right. Uh, and then Syracuse, they actually have a, a fairly friendly, like early on schedule, uh, three and one to one and three. I I don't really know what to make of that team. Like, I, I, I don't think they're going to be very good, personally. They weren't very good last year. They weren't very good the year before. I think that's, that's another one where you probably have a decent advantage motivationally, assuming that you don't you know, start out the year one and three or something. Um, but if you're, if you're two and one, or excuse me, if you're two and two going into that Syracuse game, I, I think you should still have a decent bit of motivational edge here. North Carolina is a really interesting one to me. I think they have a chance to be five and oh, but they also have a chance to be four and one or, or even three and two. I don't know if, if you checked out their early schedule or not, but in my projections, I thought three and two actually was a, a realistic possibility for them at this point as well. For our listeners out there, it's at Virginia Tech, host Georgia State, host Georgia, travel to Georgia Tech, host Duke. It was the first five for UNC there. Yeah, yeah, I could see, I, I would have a hard time seeing them at worst three and one at that point. But uh, I do think that, that the Hokies will be a lot better on defense this year. And is that at Botech or or is it in Charlotte? Uh, it's at it's in Blocksburg. Okay, I mean that that's that's not an easy game if if the Hokie defense is actually much better this year, uh, and we know North Carolina uh, has a lot of talent on that team. Mac Brown has done a good job recruiting. They they have a good quarterback in Sam Howell, and uh, I, I think their defensive line is going to be much improved, which will be interesting to see how they do against um, the Hokies' offensive line, which lost a lot of key pieces. But I, I don't think that game is a walkover for UNC. So they, they can certainly lose that. U, UMass at one and five, almost certainly, I, I think, is, is the realistic projection entering that game. That's not really worth talking about. Uh, at Clemson, I have Clemson. This might shock you, dude. I have them either at seven and zero oh or six and one when, when, when Florida State rolls into town. Yeah, it's a, they, it's a decent football program up there, is my understanding right now. Yeah, they, they, they get Georgia. Uh, to, to open the year. So we'll, we'll see on that. I have that as basically, I think I made that Clemson two. So you know, Clemson minus two. That's not, that's not that far off. Then NC State, I know I'm a little bit higher on them than, than some people are. I think part of that, especially the projection systems, is the projection systems are seeing a lot of the Bailey Hockman work factored in as far as what their returning production looks like and, and what they looked like last year. But if you isolate their games in which Devin Leary, the, the better quarterback, played before he got hurt, uh, then they, they, were, they were much better. And uh, you have to think he stays healthier uh, this year. So I, I have NC State at 6-2, and 5-3, and three, maybe 4-4. Four and four. If, if they're 6-2, and two, there, there's a chance they're, they're actually ranked when they come to town. Yeah, I mean, if they're six and two, it means they've probably lost to Miami, Clemson, and then, you know, beaten Louisville, Boston College, 
Louisiana Tech Furman misstate in USF, uh, which is certainly doable. Certainly doable. You're right, and probably uh, you know has the potential to be a little bit better team than maybe some realize. Fortunately, they do travel to uh, to Tallahassee this year, so always a favorable prospectus for Florida State not to have to go to Raleigh. All right, and then uh, so Miami, I have them at either you know somewhere between eight and one and six and three. I don't know that Miami takes another step forward this year, given Derek King's uh, his injury and the lack of ability for him to work out with the team and work on the passing game in the offseason. But I, I, they still have a lot of really good players on that team. They they crushed FSU last year physically, like they just they weren't really on the same level, uh, and they, they were a pretty damn good team last year. I think eight and one, six and three. If they are six and three, that probably means they're out of the coastal race unless they lost two of those non-conference games, right? Yeah, they'd almost have to be, I would think. Uh, well, most likely they would be, yeah. I mean, yeah, because that, that would be, like, they're, they're going to lose to Alabama in the opening game. I, I don't think there's much doubt about that. What what they do offensively, I don't know that it, I don't, I think it's extremely effective against below average, average, above average, decent college teams. I think against the very best teams, what what, what they have skill position wise, offensively, especially at receiver, uh, what they have as far as passing capability, quarterback, is is maybe not quite as effective. So I don't I don't really give them a shot uh, to beat Alabama. Everybody else in their schedule, they they could certainly beat. It wouldn't shock me if they're eight and one entering that game. If they're if they're eight and one entering that game, you know that's that's a pretty good team you're playing most likely, unless they've just gotten a lot of close game luck. But I don't really see any motivational edge here uh, for them. They, I don't think they'll overlook Florida State since it's a, a you know, huge rivalry, obviously. So, so far, man, I don't know. Like We haven't seen a whole lot of opportunities for teams to just have a, a quitting attitude. I, I guess if NC State is 4-4 four and four when they come to Doak, that could be, that could be one that has sort of a you know, lack of motivation type thing. Louisville certainly could, could have a, a collapse angle. Louisville, NC State, and then our next opponent. And if I was doing the <laughs> if I was doing the BC Eagle podcast or whatever it would be called, uh, and I was doing the same thing, I would oh good I would circle this Florida State game for the same reason that we're talking about it. Uh, you know they they it's a November twentieth game where Florida State's traveling you know to Chestnut Hill, and uh, I'm sure that they could you know look at have the same ideas and and wonder you know where Florida State's focus level or whatever else would be. But yeah, this is one of the games that immediately jumped to mind when we uh, started talking about doing this. Yeah. I like there's a very good chance that both Florida state and Boston college need this win to go bowling. I, I have BC either at six and four or, or five and five entering this game. Now, if they are six and four, that's a pretty big deal because if you recall, BC did not go to a bowl game last year, even though they were, I think they were technically eligible to get selected, but they, they didn't have any COVID that they were probably the best team in the country at, at handling, handling COVID last year. And they basically said it was exhausting. Right. And like, like it, to, to follow all these protocols and instead of going to a bowl game, they didn't really care about, they wanted to actually go home and see their families, which is very understandable during the pandemic. And yeah, but I, I think this is a, this is an important game, no doubt. And they are probably in that six and four to five and five range. Uh, when, when FSU travels up there. So you almost hope they're six and four. Maybe they have a little bit of a, of a letdown after clinching a bowl the prior week, but they're still going to get up for these jerseys. I would, you, I would say that 
perhaps there's an argument that you would hope where BC's record is as bad as possible. I only say that uh, because if you can avoid that being a night game, if you can avoid TV thinking that that's a good idea to make a, a night game, then hey, maybe, you know, it's an extra eight degrees warmer or something like that. And, uh, you know, you don't have kids from Florida uh, being like, hey, what the hell is this? It's uh, freezing and I'm, you know, not sure that football is my first focus right now. So for sure. Although some of the coldest games I can remember FSU playing on the road, they maybe I just have fond memories of them because FSU actually won them. But the uh, like the Burt Reed game against Maryland was was really cold, if I recall. And then the uh, the Rashad Green game against the Hokies in Blacksburg. Yeah, I, I think that's something that in you know we kind of look back and create a, a narrative in our mind. Uh, and honestly, I think it's probably impacted Miami more than Florida State recently, and so maybe we just group that idea together. But uh, yeah, whatever whatever it looks like. This will certainly be a pivotal game, and uh, it's one that, you know, Florida State needs to win if they're going to have a successful season in all likelihood, and it would be interesting to see where Boston College is, both from a record standpoint and and where they are kind of mentally locked in. Uh, And then Florida, I have like nine and two or eight and three. Um, I thought I'd have a a wider variance band on this, but I I, I didn't. Like those two records entering this game came out as as by far the most likely. So it would totally shock me if they were somehow seven and four entering that game. Not really. I think ten and one in internet game would kind of shock me because they do have Bama on the schedule this year, which is difficult and they've they've dodged them for the last have they played Bama uh in the regular season uh, under Mullen? I don't think so. I, I think I think that's been off the rotation. So Anyway, that no real extra motivational edge there in, in the game, which is you know such a such a rivalry. So anyway, that that's just kind of an interesting breakdown. I I shared it. I, I don't know. In the end, I, I'm not really even sure it was that super interesting. I guess, um, but there's a couple couple spots there that that may have some motivational edges or uh, challenges for the Knolls. Definitely. Yeah. No, I think if you're a Florida State fan. Watch Louisville pretty quickly in the in the first couple of weeks, and and that may be a significant idea as to what kind of opponent you get there. And then, like we said, Boston College is gonna is gonna shape up as just one of the determinative games of this season. And you know, maybe you get a feel for where that program is based off, uh, you know, where they are uh, record wise going into that game. Yeah, that that Louisville game last year that, that was that was concerning. Like that was one of the games where where you looked like you were you were poorly coached, not really into it. And they really beat you the hell up on the scoreboard. And yet it wasn't necessarily a game that I thought you were completely you know, physically dominated. Like Louisville had, had better players, I, I would say, overall, at least some, among the guys who were in the game. I, I think FSU had, had a decent number of guys out, out for that game, which, again, COVID 2020 makes some of this stuff pretty hard to evaluate. That's a game that I think is pretty winnable if, if, if you do it right at home this year. You know, I have a harder time seeing you win games against teams that physically dominated you. You know, Miami, NC State, those type of teams that just, I don't think you have the guys up front on either side of the ball to to, to really stand up to them. Um, Or maybe at receiver to to get off the man coverage that they're going to want to play. Yeah, that that, that Louisville game, I agree with you. That is is pretty important. Speaking of important, when you want to get a loan, you need to call somebody you can trust. You need to call somebody with a lot of experience in the business. And hey, 
Who can you trust more than, than, than the pair who have doled out more than 150 loans to Noel Cash listeners? That's the legendary team. Guys, Shannon and Chad, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. They do it right. I've done it twice to them. Great rates, customer service, knowledge of the industry. When you give, when you give Shannon a call, get chat up the Knowles a little bit. Exciting and fun stuff through those guys. Give them a shout. Legendary team, somebody you can trust in my opinion. We really appreciate the continued support of the Nolcast. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and this is something you, you put on on the rundown this morning. And I, I had a feeling I knew where it came from. Um, and I asked you and you said, yeah, it was it was due to Josh Pate talking about it uh, on on his late kick show on, on 24-7 Sports. Why, why, why don't you go ahead and intro this topic? So I, um, yeah, I'll just throw this out there. I have a, a little bit of concern that, you know, Florida State uh, fans at least have taken like a, hey, there's an idea that Florida State could win the Notre Dame game. And I don't want to say are walking that towards uh, that idea towards expectation, but we're, we're maybe getting our ahead of ourselves a little bit. And I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you'll see a exact replica of, of Virginia Tech 2017, but I do as far as just all this energy excitement and then kind of the air being taken out of the bubble. But I do like when I talk to my friends, my peer group is like, we're going to the Notre Dame game. Damn right, we're going to the Notre Dame game. Everybody that I know is going to the Notre Dame game, uh, and then the rest of their plans are kind of like, well, we'll go from there. We'll figure out the you know the rest of the games that we'll be able to go to. Uh, obviously, I have some friends that are season ticket holders, and we'll be there for every game. But I'm speaking from a broad perspective. I think Florida State's got a chance to do well against Notre Dame, but I think that if, as a fan base, uh, like I said, we are ever you know walking so closer to an expectation of a positive result there. Uh, I think you may be setting yourself up for a, a disappointing situation. And I understand that Florida State, uh, from a recruiting spe- perspective, you kind of have to put all your chips into the table for that game, get as many prospects as you can, and try to uh, capitalize on that opportunity. But a little leery of, of you know, recreating a, a situation where everybody gets all hyped up for game one. Maybe you don't get the result that you want. And, uh, and you've kind of taken the air out of the bubble in game one from a a season that otherwise has an awful lot left to play out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I the, the word that popped into my, or the phrase that popped into my head is that I, I can see the fan base just on social media, on the Knowles 24-7 message board. I feel like in their minds, we have somehow shifted from possible to probable. And I I, I don't think that is, is warranted at all. Uh, I think last year, FSU keeping that game as close as it was, was honestly a little bit fluky. And the base metrics of how the game played probably did not support a game that that close. Uh, Notre Dame basically had whatever it wanted, whenever it wanted, against FSU's defense, and that was a Notre Dame team that was down its best receivers because they were they were all hurt. So they were really just doing it with some some backups. They'll, they'll have those best receivers back this year, by the way. They, they, those guys didn't graduate, so they should be back in the lineup. Um, yeah, I I don't think FSU is going to beat Notre Dame, guys. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it is possible. I think, you know, I know Josh Pate brought up, he said he would make the spread Notre Dame uh, by 10. I actually think I'm probably a point to a point and a half uh, higher on this Knowles team than he is. But that still means I'm, I'm making the Knowles a, a, a touchdown slightly more underdog and dope to open the year. And I, 
yeah, you do worry. Like, when's the last time FSU got off to a, a good start to to a season in, in the opening game, the old Miss game, right? Twenty sixteen. Yeah, uh, it's been a while, certainly. And and look, I I think. You know, I, I think I'm not saying that it's all or nothing, right? Now, like, f- for example, that, um, and I, I hate that I do this, uh, constantly referencing the early part of the Jimbo era, but it certainly fits. I mean, people didn't walk out of the Oklahoma, the second Oklahoma game, and think, oh, well, you know, we're doomed, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can have a good showing in a game like that where you don't win. That's, that's the point that I'm trying to make. And you can still have optimism as to what the future holds. But uh, like you said, be careful about putting that, taking that gear from possible to probable and, and maybe some of the uh, expectations and fallout could be associated with it. Yeah, I agree with you. I, the thing is, if you lose this game, and I, I think you will, uh, it doesn't wreck your season unless you build up expectations so much that, that you are somehow planning your season on, on, on winning this game. Because you're, you're trying to build something here. You realize your roster is nothing special by ACC standards. It's probably bottom half of the ACC, actually, I, I, w- I would venture to say, uh, as far as the quality of your players right now, just due to the, the crazy turnover they've had and the fact that you're taking uh, you know, backups from a lot of SEC-type teams or just you know average players from SEC teams. Those guys are not, not likely to come in and dominate a league like the ACC, which sends a lot of talent to the pros. But if you're if you're trying to get to six and six, and you lose the Irish, that is not something that that you throw into your your calculator and you say, "Oh man, now now we can't get to six and six. I think you you throw it in there and say, "Yep, that checks out." Like that was a chance to, to spring an upset, not a great one, but a chance. Certainly better than like a Clemson or on the road at UF uh, or you know potentially Miami at home. I think FSU fans would just love to get, you know, can you get one of Notre Dame, NC State, Miami, Florida? Those are, are three teams who who physically dominated you last year. And then Florida, you, you didn't play, but they, they whipped you the year before. If you get one of those, I, I think that's a pretty successful season, assuming you don't have, you know, too many upsets yourself. But I agree, man. Like a lot of people seem to be building this up and that's a little bit, are they setting themselves up for disappointment? You think? Uh, yeah, possibly. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't know that we'll uh, we'll ever feel quite the level of despair that, uh, that yeah, from a broader fan base perspective that was felt after that Virginia Tech game. I mean, I, I remember us recording that old cast at three in the morning or whatever it was, and that that was a that was a toughie. I mean, there was all this uh, energy and expectation as to what could be, and then you just go out and and lay such a monumental egg. Obviously you're looking at year one uh, with, with a coach there and this will be uh, as bizarre as last season was, this will still be Mike Norville's second season in command. So perhaps you, you know, have a little bit better uh, protections from going out and putting an effort like that together. But uh, yeah, so we'll just see, you know, there's uh there's two different ways to, to lose a, <laughs> an opening game like that. And uh, it will be interesting to see what the, perspective is but yeah just uh you know be cautious about that game look at it as a opportunity to to get a great win but certainly would not have uh expectations of of much more than going in and having a decent little measuring stick as to kind of where you were or where you are in the the college football world against a, a really consistent high level program like Notre Dame yeah I, I would be worried if uh if that game is is a total blowout at halftime you know, like that, 
for all the for all the crap people want to give the Irish uh, for for losing in, in, in college ball playoff games, they're still making college ball playoff games, which most other teams in the country cannot say they've done multiple times. I'm trying to think how many teams have actually made the playoff more than once, right? Oklahoma is Georgia gone twice? Mm, yeah, I think it was just once. Yeah. Once once, right? Yeah. Um so Oklahoma, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and and the Irish are the are, are the teams who have made the playoff multiple times at, at, you know since inception. So I would have to say, yeah, like don't get blown out by them. That's that's a real key, but but I don't know. I, I do think they 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 might be uh, some FSU fans maybe a little bit over their skis as far as expectation. But I, I yeah, I don't want to you know rain on their parade too much because a anything can happen, and b it it is an early season game, so there's a lot more uncertainty. And and yet I still think it's a it's a single digit spread in high single digits, so, and that, that to me says it's a game you, know, you can win, not one that you should expect to win, but one that is is possible if you catch some breaks. All right, so we'll move now to uh, just a couple real quick uh, recruiting topics. <clears throat> we'll start with uh, with Nico Marchio's performance at a recent Elite 11 camp. Uh, really strong performance by all accounts. Uh, good to see him, you know, continue to have a successful camp sector. A, a kid who had a really promising sophomore season, not as great of a junior year and appears to be setting himself up to have a a strong senior season. So a good showing for Nico, a guy who's uh, scheduled a couple uh, visits, I believe West Virginia and one other school that slips in my mind right now. Uh, but uh, Michigan state, I know he's also talking to Arizona okay. state. Yeah. Let's circle back to a conversation we had a couple weeks ago, but, uh, and that was, I, I think I put the prospectus of Nico being in this class, probably somewhere around 30, 35%. Yeah. I think that's still accurate. I mean, I, I'm going to stay with that and, and certainly interested in your thoughts on the subject, but so Nico is, <clears throat> Nico does not view himself as a complimentary piece, right? And, and which good, you, you shouldn't as a quarterback where you're, uh, you know, going on and, and trying to, trying to be a, a potential college starter, a multiple year starter. That's a, a kid that looks at himself as a four or five star prospect as he should. Um, and, you know, Duffy certainly has a little bit more of a, a higher ranking and, maybe seems to be the more prominent quarterback of the class. So historically, when there's a situation like that, uh, and it's this early, yeah, I, I think the percentage around 30, 35% is, uh, is fairly accurate. So uh, we'll have to see with Nico what happens. Uh, I'll be really, really interested in getting the first two to three games uh, of the senior season, see what that looks like. I think it will be a decent barometer kind of as to where he is. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I certainly hope he sticks with Florida State. There seems to be kind of like this uh, rumbling uh, of some that they're not, you know, oh, I don't know. I don't want to go there. But uh, I hope it works out for the kid if, if that's really where he wants to go. But historically, uh, quarterbacks who kind of see themselves as starters uh, tend to put themselves in classes to where that's more a realistic uh, possibility. I, I agree with you completely. Um, I... I... I can pretty much guarantee you the staff's not going to be cool with official visits being taken elsewhere as a committed quarterback, right? Uh, I know that he told Greg Biggins of 24-7 Sports that, quote, my commitment to Florida State is solid, but I just want to look at all my options to see what some of these other schools have to offer. I want to take visits and talk to some of these coaches, but I'm still committed to FSU, and there's a lot I like about the program. Let's be real here. FSU is recruiting two quarterbacks who, who really, really care a lot 
about early playing time. The one thing that sticks out to me a whole bit here, and I need to be smart how I say this, almost all these schools, Michigan State, West Virginia, Arizona State, are the exact schools who you just beat out in your other quarterback recruiting battle. Think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Now, what do you think they know? They probably know about any sort of playing time assurances you made to the kid you just beat him for. If they have a brain, and they do, they'll use that information, if they've got it, to recruit against you for Marchio. Like, 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 I guarantee you they know what FSU's recruiting pitch was. So they're going to say, like, look, they just told this other kid about playing time. Because we know, just from the recruiting industry, both these guys care a whole lot about early playing time. Right? Like, they want to start year one. Both guys can't start year one. I, I, I fully anticipate that they will have, I don't want to use the word negative recruiting, but they're going to face a lot of comparative recruiting in so much as, Hey, they just told us that our kid this. That's, I think that's what you're dealing with here, especially because like, look at these exact schools. I mean, it's basically one for one. As you said, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be familiar with why other prospect, uh, you know, recently chose Florida state and, and maybe why they, uh, they went in the direction they did. So, no, I think that's a great point to bring up. And, uh, yeah, we'll just, you know, something we can watch and, and monitor. Like you said, certainly want two quarterbacks in the class, uh, whether that's Nico and Duffy, whether that's uh, Duffy and some other prospects. We'll just have to look and see. And ultimately, I think this situation will resolve itself, um, you know, so probably by the time we're entering uh, game one would be my opinion. Exactly. I, I would agree with you on that. You had a note here that Marvin, the recent photos of Marvin Jones Jr. looks looks all of two forty five. Man, yeah, I mean we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna sit here and spend a ton of time on a, a high school kid uh, in, in his body composition yeah. growing, but ooh, that dude looks like a legit defensive end now. I mean, it looks like he's put on you know maybe fifteen pounds or so uh, relatively recently, and he he that that kid looks much more like a college ready high high four or five star prospect than. Maybe he did, in my opinion, six months ago. Well, I, I completely agree there. He's he's a stud. And you're, that's going to be just a huge battle. Like we 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 knew it. We we've said it for a long time. And they're going to have to see if they can if they can win that one out. Obviously, the legacy thing I think you know matters, but how much does it matter? And uh, if you win that one, full credit because that's you're you're fighting against the best of the best. Whereas for some other prospects, I'm not fully convinced that these battles are going to be quite as hard as um, as maybe they look to be right now. Right. Yeah, you're not just uh you're not just going against the a school that has their name listed in the offer sheet and the recruiting profile. I mean, you're going against uh, you know, Alabama and everybody else with a full full foot to the pedal doing all they can to go out and get this kid. And uh yeah, I mean, certainly you've got a great legacy there in, in Florida State is trying to do everything in their world to, to I mean, they're pretty creative uh, with a lot of these kids and, and some of the angles that they're trying to take. And, and uh, I'm not saying they're breaking any rules, but I'm saying they're trying to do everything possible uh, to put themselves in the best place uh, with Jones Jr. And yeah, we'll just have to see, but uh, yeah, super talented kid who's only gotten bigger and, and looks, uh, looks a lot more ready to contribute early than maybe I thought he did previously. You want to talk about these these Travis Hunter cleats? I, I know we are contractually required to. Yeah, uh, like I said, if we're, we're 
we're getting into the we're getting into the real important stuff at this point. But we satisfy our requirement to mention Travis Hunter uh, on this podcast, as we're uh, you know ever so happy to do. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, uh, Zach Glostein over there at two four seven's got a great uh, picture of these things. I'll just say that they are aggressively uh, pro Florida State. They've got the five six one for his hometown area code there. And uh, a whole lot of, you know, kind of great coloring and the uh, Florida State logo on them. And, uh, you know, does, doesn't look as though Travis Hunter is, is anything other than the, uh, you know, all, all gas, no brakes prospect when it comes to the Florida State perspective and, and his intentions of ultimately becoming a Seminole. And then one thing I wanted to discuss, I, I brought this up on the last show or maybe two shows ago. Um, but, man, I like the more research that I do, the the more convinced I am that FSU literally could get a top 10 level class if, if they, if they recruit well and, and they have a, a decent season, schools are going to have scholarships for you know, prospects like Marvin Jones Jr. So this is not going to help you in, in, in that area, but for prospects sort of in that, like, I don't know, 275, the sort of 575 national range. I don't know that everybody is is holding spots for them as long as as they otherwise normally would because all these schools have so many freshmen, a, a lot of them do at least, because they, they took a big class in you know, the prior year and the prior year and then COVID hit. So nobody actually lost any eligibility. And there are schools out there who are telling us, hey, we have, we have like 40, 44 freshmen on this roster. We, we, we're going to go really light on high school this year so we can spread some things out and, and create some, some roster balance. Or I heard of a school the other day for this thing I'm working on that is planning to take five high schoolers and 15 transfers. They think there's going to be a boatload of good players in the transfer portal and, and they, uh, they, they want to go ahead and, and balance out their, their roster seniority. To me, FSU just did that. Essentially, now not to that extent, obviously, but they went pretty heavy transfer two years in a row, and this is going to be the the real class that kind of makes or, or, or breaks Mike Norvell's tenure here. If he bombs his class, he's not going to work out long term at FSU. So, I think they're going to go heavy high school and really try to build this thing the not the slow way, but the, the sustainable way potentially, as opposed to the quick hitters of, of transfers once you get past this year. And the thing is, like, you might just have more spots than everybody else, especially for some of these kids who are, who are listing some of these schools. And I'm not going to name names right now, but hey, okay, my, my top schools are, are Bama, you know, Clemson, that, that, that type of thing. Okay. For, for that type of player, if he's really, really good, they'll probably save a spot. If he's a fringe guy, like, they'll fill that spot earlier. They, they don't wait on these kids for the most part unless they get on them real late. Like, like, you don't really see schools like that recruit these kids who are, you know, fringe top 300 type guys who are really good high school players. Obviously, if you're you know, top 300 in the country, you don't see them recruit those guys forever unless they just somehow feel that player is like way underrated, you know, and, and they're willing to, to stick with them the whole time. Um, so those spots fill up. So for those type of players, I think FSU could, could really clean up in that range and, and be right there ready to, to take some of them. And then some of your other programs out there who are just not going to have spots, not because they, they fill up, but because they're just not wanting to take that many high schoolers. Your, your competition for a top 10 class this year 
especially for like a top 15 class, is not nearly, it's not going to be nearly what it was in, in, in prior years, even last year, which was reduced competition to get a top 15 class. I mean, what, what was FSU's class? Uh, what was it ranked last year? I'm trying to remember. So last year's class was, was 23rd for the Knowles with 215 points. If you were to go back to a year prior, 213 points, you would have been 29th or 30th. So we were already starting to see this effect last year. Like that top 25 class that FSU signed last year was, it, it would not have been a top 25 class in prior years. It was because other schools weren't taking as many players and because transfers aren't, aren't factored into this. But yeah, man, that that's, you know, hell, in, if you go back two years ago, if FSU only had a class of, of 214 points among high schoolers, again, top 25 class last year, two years ago, it would have been 34th. I think we're going to see that effect this year on steroids. By the dip, right? Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, really interesting idea, like you said, yeah, so something that we've talked about and, and a place where Florida State's, you know, really kind of fortuitously positioned. Uh, I, I will be really interested in the composition of the class as far as high school portal. I mean, I do think it's going to be a, a another pretty live uh, live season in the portal. Um, and I, I do think that Florida State is going to always have a presence there. I mean, I, I think that just as you're geographically positioned as, you know, the portal is, as we kind of originally see it shaping up uh, in the first couple of years is that the trend is that a lot of, a lot of talent tries to finish, uh, you know, close to their hometown, home state, whatever. And yeah, Florida state's located, you know, 25 minutes from the South and from the Georgia border. And, and obviously as a state school of Florida, they're pretty well positioned to, to take advantage of that. So uh, I think they'll always have a presence, but uh, it will be interesting to see what this kind of balance looks like in a in a year in which we anticipate them to go pretty heavy high school. I agree. By the way, are are you uh, how close are you to Kennesaw? Pretty close, right? Uh, I mean, from an Atlanta perspective, fairly close, but it's I'm probably 25 minutes away. Gotcha. They are having a uh, they're having a mega camp as well uh, on on June 8th and and June 9th uh, at, at at Kennesaw State. But pretty good pretty good number of uh, of FBS teams are, are going to be there. Boston College, Oregon. Tennessee, Illinois, I don't know what that logo is, Memphis, USF, Duke, Navy, Air Force, Army, Middle Tennessee State, uh, Akron, Liberty, Arkansas State, Mercer, Georgia Southern, uh, Washington State, Indiana, Arizona State, Nebraska, a couple more, obviously, Georgia State, uh, and then some, some pretty decent uh, F- FCS schools. It looks like a couple, maybe, maybe D2s. Uh, but I, I just thought that was... You know, yet another school do, doing the mega camp idea. Um, certainly something that that high school coaches are going to appreciate, which is why FSU is doing it. One group of people that we certainly appreciate is, is Matt Lewis and the team at Congruity. You know, Congruity's been a fantastic addition to the Dolcast. It's been a great partner to uh, two or three businesses now, actually, uh, since joining with the Dolcast. Just a great company as far as whether you're looking to outsource HR, whether you're looking to get help with payroll, uh, Congruity offers you highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Uh, like I said, Matt Lewis has been great for us, and we certainly uh, would think that he would have a similar impact on your organization. Give him 10 minutes, see if it's a good fit. Matt can be reached at 844-247-4100 or Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. 
All right, man. Uh, let's go ahead and get into maybe the final segment of our show. Well, first, we do have a correction. A listener was nice enough to email us, and he reminded us. This is Nick. Uh, do you remember last show or two shows ago, we discussed the worst recruiting class of all time uh, as far as draft uh, stock, and it was that Texas class. Well, this is my fault. I did not remember Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks was a, a really, really highly rated recruit. Obviously, if he was in that Texas class, he was going to be. Uh, but Nick wrote in and said, "Hey, he was drafted by the Eagles and played for uh, played for like five years." So that that one is is certainly on us. You're right about that. Texas still had the worst class, like ever. <laughs> yeah. No, we always appreciate uh, follow up, and yeah, that was a that was a you know noted and appreciated. I think wasn't Hicks. Uh, I just remember there being, I don't know, a lot of drama, but I remember... Wasn't his dad an NFL guy? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And then uh, I remember there was a, uh, I think, well, I don't know. I just remember there being a, a backstory to his commitment that's really not necessarily pertinent or important for us to cover on the Nolcast. So, uh, yeah, here we are at Listener Questions. We'll get into them. Uh, we'll also just throw out a, a special mention to a, a listener and Patreon supporter of ours, uh, Johnny Taylor, uh, just dealing with a <clears throat> childhood uh, illness, and he posted a, a, a picture on uh, Twitter there of him visiting his child in the in the hospital, wearing a Nolcast shirt and a couple other things. And by all accounts, uh, his daughter is uh, consistently improving. And just wanted to let you know, Johnny, we send you our best, and uh, certainly appreciate your support of the show. Absolutely, man. You guys are, are, are the praying kind. You know, go ahead and uh, and do that for Johnny, or you know, think of some good thoughts, or, or whatever whatever you can do to help. Let's go ahead and get into these questions. So Connor uh, says, uh, hey, how is Alabama able to sign 27 high schoolers and bring in three transfers without going over scholarship limits? Is it due to processing or do the rules just not apply to them? <laughs> well, uh, certainly the rules are much tighter than they used to be, uh, but Alabama, maybe they have some spots left over from a, a previous class. I, actually, let me, let me take a look at exactly what they have here so I can answer this question uh, in the most accurate way possible. Yeah, so they signed 27 high schoolers, and uh, they had the, the highest-rated recruiting class of all time. And then they ended up taking uh, three transfers in uh, Jack Martin, Henry Toto, and Jamison Williams. Here's, here's kind of the missing piece, right? We, we don't actually know if, if all of these transfers are on scholarship. So they, they, they took a punter from, what is that, Troy? Like, I, I don't actually know, like, is he a scholarship player? He may or may not be. We we have good reason to believe that not all the guys that FSU took are on scholarship. Some are probably coming in as as one year walk ons, and then you know may end up getting a scholarship the next year if uh, if if they earn it. There's also a chance that some of these guys who signed with them maybe don't qualify. They have 14 guys who are enrolled right now. Now I don't think that they're going to take anybody who doesn't qualify, but it's certainly possible that at one or two of those dudes don't qualify and they may have been able to back count dudes from the prior year. So they took, they had 25 enrollees the prior year and, uh, and, and two transfers. Obviously I don't think one of the transfers was on scholarship because he was a zero star uh, and pretty sure Bama's not in the, the habit of taking a third or fourth string quarterback from Mississippi state as on, on scholarship. And then Carl Tucker, a tight end from UNC. Like, I don't know if, if he, if he was a scholarship guy or not, um, you know, they quote unquote signed Caden Clark, but there's a shirt next to his name. So that, that could potentially be, be somebody who's not, you know, on, not on scholarship. And, um, 
yet they, they could have counted back some of those guys for previous year. So accounting wise, you can have some spots available from, from prior years if you somehow you know, didn't fill them all. That would be my guess as, as to how they're doing it. Um, there's no like serious loophole here with the exception of you know, getting guys who want to come play for you who are, are not on scholarship, which certainly happens. Um, and hell, we, we believe is happening for Florida State, even though uh, they don't they don't release their scholarship roster. So yeah, I mean that's a, a great idea as to how they can kind of uh, look at those numbers and better perspectives. And 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 like I said with the previously, I mean the the portal appears to be a situation where you've got a lot of kids going kind of going home, going back to their uh, native states, and and sometimes that can provide a avenue to be a little bit flexible with uh, providing scholarships or benefits or being able to get a kid on campus for six months before he fully tends into, turns into a scholarship athlete. So uh, sometimes there's, there's a few things that you can do to make that a little bit more of a uh, agreeable process. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's not a, a little bit of a theme where, Hey, look, you know, you're not going to do that with a, you know, if the five-star defensive tackle gets disenchanted at Clemson, you're not going to try to play games with scholarship numbers. But some of those fringe guys kind of that we've been talking about, uh, that is is something that I wouldn't shock me to see uh, somewhat of a common occurrence. I would agree with that. Um, okay, so here's a question for you from Patreon readers. What would you do if there was a player available in the portal at every possible position and they were all you know, equal quality. What position would you use FSU's final scholarship at? It's a good question. I think I'm going to give a boring answer. Uh, I'm going to stay at the offensive line. Uh, if I can get a tackle, I'm going to grab a tackle. If it's not tackle, if you could, if you could get, if you could find me a disruptive pass rusher, uh, I would try to grab another one of those. I think part of part of the thing that makes this question difficult is that our Patreon member did not say. Like, what is the actual quality, right? Like, are, are we assuming everybody is like average, I guess, which is probably the most fair thing to, to assume or, or slightly below average? Because I think it, it changes a little bit, maybe depending on, on the level here. Like, if, if, you're, if you're telling me that everybody is a good player, my answer might change. I, obviously, you took tackle. I, I think that is, it's very clearly still, still the biggest need on this team. Uh, but you know, looking at it, man, their tight end room is not any good, right? Like that's probably tight end might still be the worst position on this team, depending on what Jordan Wilson does coming back from injury. Cam McDonald's fine, but he's not going to be like a pro. I don't, I don't think. And the rest of your guys are like walk on quality or you know, true freshmen. Defensive end, I would agree with you. I, I think is is certainly certainly one. And then receiver is also a place you could still use another upgrade. Andrew Parchman in the school. We, we went over what we thought maybe expectations for him uh, should be. In, in his year with the Knowles, but um, I don't know. This is an interesting question. I, I think you're probably right with tackle, but there's also the possibility that this is some, this is something you could use at receiver or defensive end. Unfortunately for the Knowles, uh, the opportunity to literally have your pick amongst a bunch of equal players is not a realistic one because there's not going to be an equal amount of talent spread across the positions in the portal, and we'll have to see you know, who else jumps in the portal because you need to be in there by by July one. Before we get to our final question, we will thank our friends at Madison Social, as always. Uh, longtime sponsors of the Knollcast. Yesterday was uh, my favorite day of the month, the 17th of the month, which means it's Reuben Day. And uh, we're always going to uh, point you at Madison Social and 
and Township uh, also want to continue to plant the seed of the uh, rooftop bar that they have coming online here. Charlie Park uh, will be open over Memorial Day, it looks like. Uh, so if you're in Tallahassee or if you're going to be in that part of the world, uh, I would certainly encourage it. It's just going to be a fantastic addition uh, to the the Tallahassee scene. You can go to Charlie, C-H-R-L-I-E, Park, rooftop.com. Uh, and take a look. And I think they've actually got the uh, original menus uploaded there as well. So charlieparkrooftop.com backslash menus uh, if you want to start to browse around. But that's going to be a uh, awesome ad and a, a really cool spot. No doubt, man. Can't wait to get up there and check that place out. All right, let's go. Uh, Corey says, hey, guys, back back again for another edition of Corey asked another mediocre question. Have either of you had a chance to attend one of the FSU travel camps? If so how was it? Uh, he's referring to the youth camps. No, I, I've not, but I obviously know a lot of people who, who work them. Uh, they, they thought they were pretty successful. Got, got a lot of the important uh, people out there who they wanted to talk to. A lot, lot of the youth coaches in, in the state who also happened to be uh, connected to a lot of the seven on seven programs. And as we've talked about on the show before, those guys tend to be the ones who are driving kids up to take unofficial visits and seem to have transportation and, and you need to know who you need to know in this state. And I think that was another opportunity to, uh, to make some important connections. And one of the reasons, by the way, why I think they brought the entire staff, not just the coaches on these visits, because some of the, some of the back office staff also is, uh, is pretty, is pretty important. Maybe your director of high school relations and, and some guys like that are, are important to get them on the road to uh, with this format. So I think that was a pretty smart move, but no, I, I did not go to attend one of the, uh, one of the youth camps. Yeah, I haven't been. I have talked to three different people uh, recently that were there, uh, not as alumni or coaches, but just as you know, fathers of kids, and they were all really impressed. Uh, really well organized, great showing, uh, in my opinion. And uh, like you know, we talked about this previously on the podcast. If you want to go back and listen to us uh, talk about it at a, a broader perspective, but something that I think will pay short and long term dividends for Florida State fans. Uh, did you see the, uh, and also, and we mentioned this too, but it was just great to see a lot of alumni get to swing through. And I don't know if you saw the video of Chris Thompson uh, and, you know, uh, running into Mike Norvell and uh, meeting him for the first time, but it's just fantastic uh, stuff to see and great to see uh, alumni come back, be invested in the program. Uh, Norvell, you know, most coaches do handle those situations well, but uh, certainly really personable and, and uh, you know, does uh, appears to be really comfortable with past players and uh, wanting to make them feel welcome around the program. So I think, like I said, that was nothing but a uh, a good thing for Florida State, both in the in the short and long. Corey asks, uh, he says, uh, a lot of buzz around the Florida State uh, new presidential hire. I'm seeing on Twitter that school is looking for an academic focused candidate, which I certainly don't have a problem with. Uh, but I am interested in what the new president could uh, mean for Florida State Athletics. I actually have been following this a little bit, as, as I know you have. Looks like there's, what, three, have they officially announced three finalists or just being reported there are three finalists? Um, I believe that they have narrowed it down to a group of three. Um, and, and that is a, a bit more of an official capacity, not necessarily uh, hearsay. Yeah, and they obviously have, have a pretty difficult job replacing Thrasher, who I, I think... Uh, some people at the time were very in favor of his hiring. Some people were, were really opposed. And yet a lot of people I know over at the school are, you know, who are on the academic side ended up like, like John Thrasher a, a whole lot. And, and I think his, his uh, presidency is going to be remembered pretty fondly. Now, 
I don't think any of these people, I don't think there'd be a problem at all with, with them and academics, most likely. So uh, Robert Bluen, the executive VP and uh, chancellor and provost uh, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, so UNC. Uh, Richard McCullough, who's uh, the VP or vice provost. Can, can you can you say VP for uh, for vice provost? I don't I don't think so because you're gonna okay. make an association that it's something else. But yeah, all right. So vice provost for research at Harvard, and then Giovanni uh, Piedmonte, uh, the uh, he's an MD, vice president uh, for research at Tulane, and professor of pediatrics for the Tulane School of Medicine at Tulane University. Based on what I've read. I don't think any of these people have an anti-athletics stance, and I don't think a school like Florida State is going to hire somebody who is such an academic that they're not going to be into that. I actually think hiring an academic could be a positive in, in this regard. He might leave athletics alone as far as not trying to screw with it, which is important. You have had presidents before who wanted to, to pretend like they were athletic directors. Yeah, absolutely. Bud stole my answer. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you, you've had people who have <laughs> have desired to be Florida State president slash athletic director. And that's, uh, you know, that's not necessarily what you need. And, and I um, am only more confident in my belief that I believe you have your athletic director, uh, your future athletic director uh, currently hired. So it's not like you're going to have a situation uh, where you're going to have a president who necessarily wants to bring in an athletic director, although that's a fairly rare circumstance uh, in and of itself. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think you could be well served to have a guy who comes in uh, and focuses uh, fully on athletics and, and lets, uh, or excuse me, focuses fully on academics and, and kind of lets athletics, you know, have, have their space and, and uh, hopefully govern themselves in a, in a manner accordingly. I agree with that. That's the show. You guys want to follow us on Twitter uh, at Nolcast, Instagram, Nolcast. Email us, nolcast at gmail.com. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate that. And uh, also our Patreon, patreon.com slash nolcast. All the support is always appreciated. Thanks for keeping us number one in the Florida State market. And uh, we'll see you guys again probably next week. You think we're going to have to do two shows this week? I know we did two last week, and we definitely burnt through some material. <laughs> yeah, absent something uh, unforeseen, we'll probably be back with you, uh, you know, first of next week would be my guess. Awesome. All right, buddy. Take care. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.